You are listening to Part 8 from the 1993-94 through 94 John series on Chapter 3, Verses 17-21, through 21, preached by Pastor John Castile, recorded at 10.45 a.m. on September 19, 1993. You thought I didn't remember that I'd already done that once, but what you didn't know is I forgot my microphone. Art, Art just told me that the lifeguard that we were going to use for the pool has gotten sick, so we won't have a lifeguard, won't be able to use the pool today as thought, but we'll be able to use the rest of it. Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3. This is uh, the series on the Gospel of John as we're going through it. It's a very wonderful series for me. It's probably one of the most exciting studies that I've made in Scripture. Uh, it's hard to compare them because all of the... The excitement is different. It's all wonderful. But uh, the Gospel of John is one of those books that is just powerful, powerfully full of the, the depth of relationship with Jesus. We were studying last week uh, in John chapter 3 how a man called Nicodemus and Jesus discussed the need of the new birth experience. Starting in verse 1, we find that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now, if you'll remember, Nicodemus was a wealthy, educated, successful, and very religious man. He was a leader. He would have been one of our highest choices if we could have chosen a man who, by his efforts or goodness or parentage or background, could be saved. If human effort would do it, Nicodemus probably would have made it. And it was this to Nicodemus that Jesus told, you need to be born again. Responding, no doubt, to the deep need of his heart and his life, the void and vacancy that was there, you need to be born again. And so, let's just briefly go through the chapter and come to the place that we left off last week. We need to pick it up because it's the, res- the final response of the story that I want to bring to you this morning. Remember, Nicodemus came to him and called him Rabbi. And he stated that he knew he was from God because no one could do the miracles that he was doing unless God was with him. And then in verse 3, Jesus responds, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Jesus said in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Notice, no one can see the kingdom in verse 3. No one can enter the kingdom of God In verse 5, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus emphatically stated to this learned man the simple fact that without being born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, that is, you cannot perceive it or understand it, and you cannot enter the kingdom of God, meaning that you cannot experience it or walk your life in it. What is being born again? Well, being born again means to enter into new life in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Just as you did when you were born naturally, you were given life in the womb, and in that womb you had a being, but a limited being. And just as you had faculties in the womb that you couldn't use in that situation, it was through the birth process where your mother, through the pangs of birth, uh, 
birthed you into the existence that you now enjoy so that now your eyes can see farther, they can focus, your ears can hear and distinguish, you can breathe, you can live, you can sense, you can feel, you can experience, you can learn, you can read, you can enjoy the earth. And so it is that that happened to you because you were born. To be born again means that the Spirit of God helps you to live life spiritually as well as naturally. It is though the, the enablement comes from the Holy Spirit to awaken the faculties of the Spirit so that you can relate and walk with God. You can hear the Lord. You can see the Lord. You can sense the Lord. You can relate to Him. The distance is gone. Now God becomes a reality. A lot of people laugh at Christians when they talk like this, like they see or hear or talk with God. It's because it's out of their ability to perceive. Jesus said, you can't see it or move into it unless you're born again. It takes a birth process in the spirit. No, not back in your mother's womb, as Nicodemus suggested, but nonetheless a valid experience of being born by the Spirit of God into the relationship of being a child of God. Now, unless this happens to you, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Hearing from God, you see, doesn't have anything to do with your intelligence. There's a lot of smart people that can't hear the voice of God. It doesn't mean they're not smart. It just means they don't have spiritual hearing. It's all it means. There's a lot of very ignorant people that hear God. Say amen, somebody. And there's a lot of people that hear the voice of God and sense His Spirit where other people just sense something weird. They know what they're sensing. They know when it's a demon and when it's not. They know when it's human excitement or the the touch of the Spirit of God. They understand the fire that comes into their being when they hear the Word of God, not just words or not just prose or poetry or great uh, literature that many people think the Bible is, but through hearing that literature with their natural eyes, their, spirit ears, their spiritual ears hear God speak and their hearts burn with fire. That's a valid experience, but it cannot happen unless you're born again. So when Nicodemus showed surprise and question, Jesus gently rebuked him because he should have known better. He studied the Old Testament scriptures that promised of this. He was well versed in the teachings of the prophets and of Moses who spoke of those days. He knew the prophet Ezekiel, one of the most powerful men of the day, one of the most valid and valued prophets of all the theologians of Israel. And Ezekiel had said in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, I'm going to read from verse 26 through 27, I will give you a new heart, the Lord was speaking, and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The prophet had put his finger upon mankind's problem. He would need to be changed from the inside out rather than from the outside in. It wasn't turning over a new leaf or learning something new or, or just trying a little bit harder. Aren't you glad God didn't say, there's going to be a new covenant in which I'll ask you to just try harder. <laughs> I don't need that, do you? I need help. <laughs> I need God's help rather than just to try harder. 
So, Ezekiel had written 600 years earlier that when God moved again upon his people in a special manner, that there would be a new covenant based on this. Nicodemus knew this. And so his answer to Jesus is, how can this be? He didn't refute it, he just says, how? How can it be? That could mean incredulously that it's impossible, or it can mean, how does it happen? And Jesus answered that question, whether Nicodemus' question was incredulous or really seeking. Jesus answered the question for us in the next verses. And he tells us in verses 14 through 15, very simply, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It's that simple. Now, to you that are not a Jew, you might not understand this history. But Jesus was recalling to Nicodemus the story found in your Bibles in Numbers 21, where Israel, in their journeys, before they went into the Promised Land, got into a place where the journey was difficult and they began to gripe and complain and they complained against God and they said, I wish we had stayed in Egypt rather than walking out in this desert in the presence of the Lord. They were so irritated. And the Lord released serpents that bit them and those snake bites were fiery and they were painful and hundreds of people were dying. When the people realized what was happening, that they were under the judgment of God, they repented and they came to Moses and they repented and they repented before God. And Moses went to the Lord for them in their pain because these people were hurting and they were dying. And God said, make a brazen serpent, a brass serpent, and hang it on a pole. Put it in a place so that any Israelite who wants to can go and behold the serpent, look at the serpent. And if he'll just look at the serpent, he'll be healed. From the venom, he won't die. The lesson is clear. Jesus himself would become our sin and hang on a cross. And our sin, which is the issue of life, remember. The problem is our sin. It's not God's love. It's not God's faithfulness. Not God's desire. Not his word, not the Holy Spirit, it's our sin that comes between us and God. And God was going to take that sin issue and he was going to nail it to a cross. That those who would face their sin would suddenly find that that snake in the Old Testament, which was the demonstration of their sin, would become the Son of Man on a cross dying for their sin. If they would face that and see that, they would receive eternal life. You see, sin has to be faced, not just nationally, but individually. It must be faced honestly and admitted. We call it confession. Many religious groups take confession as an individual confession of each little sin before a minister or before a church. Confession means to say the same thing as God. You and I could never confess all of our sins. Because there aren't just the sins that you've done, they're the sins that you didn't do. Now let me explain that. Stuff you didn't do is sin. Stuff you should have done is sin. Not just what you did. And the greatest sin of all, in fact, the word sin in the Bible means amartia, is what we haven't become that we could have become if we'd followed God with all of our strength. So it's impossible for us to face all of our sin. We just have to face the fact that the problem is sin. And that's the truth.
The problem of divorce is sin. The problem of homeless children is sin. Even a lot of our hypertensions and our insanities and our drives and our dog-eat-dog world, the problem is sin. And so God, in His grace, made them face. Sin is the problem. And when they did, they were healed. Jesus said that just as Israel was saved by just looking at the serpent, men are born again as they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As they behold Him in their spirits and their hearts as their Savior. You see, believing or faith or trust, whichever of these words speaks to your heart best, is God's demanded response to what He did for you. The gift is not actuated The new birth is not effectuated in you until you respond. Just like a gift, an offer. If I were to give something, it would never be received unless you responded. Believing is something we can all... God's word even supplies the power to believe if you'll just make the choice. Even if you have honest doubts. His word will come in and create faith where there was no faith. If you just will believe. You see, our problem is that believing is also an act of the will. And here is the problem because so many people don't want to be saved. Believing places us through God's Holy Spirit in Christ. It's a position, a spiritual position where now... The Holy Spirit has come into me, but he's also brought me into Jesus in a way that I'm surrounded by his life and his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Most of you will remember that scripture from King James. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. And listen to the majesty of this. Behold... All things are made new. So being born again is more than being forgiven. So many churches think salvation is just forgiveness. Forgiveness, as wonderful as it is, is only a part of the package of salvation. Because being saved is to be born into the realm of the Spirit where God's presence activates the surrender of Jesus' life in your stead, activates the blood of Jesus to come in and not just bring forgiveness but to bring cleansing and renewal. And the Holy Spirit comes in and makes all things new in the blood of Jesus. Being born again, then, is not just being forgiven. It's having the right to start again, start over. If I were to tell you today that a 40-year-old man can come down here and all of a sudden he can have all of his mistakes taken away, he can have all of his errors erased from his slate. Many people would jump at that, but that's exactly what I'm saying, is that no matter who we are, when we come to Jesus, we're made new. Now, these things happen by the process of the Holy Spirit as God works with the Word of God upon our lives when we accept Jesus in faith. Peter writes, Many people thought that Nicodemus came to Jesus, we're talking about him, because he wanted the message carried into the Sanhedrin, of whom he was a part, the Supreme Court of Israel. 
And so Jesus was planting that word so that they would understand the message of salvation and be able to judge it. Myself, because the scripture doesn't say either way, I think Jesus was very, very consciously and very carefully responding to the personal need of Nicodemus and explaining that he needed to be born again. Because the same message was brought again. Later on at the day of Pentecost, the Sanhedrin was asking what is going on and they brought the disciples before them in chapter uh, uh, 1 of Peter, pardon me, chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Uh, Peter says, There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. In his epistle of 1 Peter, verse uh, 23, he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. So remember, this is the Word of God working with the Spirit of God that brings us to a place to recognize our sin and turn from our sin towards Jesus. And then He heals us. But the decision is to believe. Remember what John said in chapter 1. We read it in one of our first studies. Yet to all who received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. The NIV says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So all the way through the scriptures you can hear that, that it's the confrontation and the receiving of Jesus that enables and activates the Holy Spirit's work in bringing a person into this birth passage. So just as the mother is activated through her, her pain, and she activates that into a birth process, and the child is brought into another, into delivery, we call it. It's one of the reasons we call being set free deliverance. is because there is a delivery from the realm of just the natural into the realm of the Spirit, and it came through the anguish of Jesus and the Holy Spirit bringing you to life through those pains. John 3.16 tells us why. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That's why. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So then love is the central theme of this gospel. The good news that God really does understand your situation and he cares about what you're going through. And he's found and he knows what the answer is. He knows what the problem is. So in his love he gave us his own spirit he gave us his own word. He gave us his own son. He loves you and he did not come to condemn you. He came to save you. Now, that brings us up to today where we want to go now through just four verses in John to finish this story. In verse 18, he continues, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. All of a sudden, the scenario changed to something very, very serious. Love now is joined with the sureness of judgment. 
We were just talking about love and suddenly it has turned to something that may seem to some people very negative. Is that God's intention? No. But God tells us the truth. And he tells us the truth in a way that we can hear it and we can understand it. The offer of life and love, when rejected, becomes something very, very difficult. It becomes a hopeless loss. It places you in desperate condemnation with no place to turn. If you reject Jesus' gift of life, where else will you find one? Who else can save you? If you reject God's plan of salvation through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, where else or who else has devised a program or plan that can accomplish your salvation? No, there is no other way. As I quoted to you early, when Peter was speaking to that same Sanhedrin, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Salvation is found in no one else, speaking of Jesus. He says, For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Paul the Apostle, in writing to Timothy, in that great Greek culture that was just so, uh, they had come out of this polytheism where they believed in all kinds of gods and spirits and they were very intellectual and accepting of everything much like much of the New Age teaching that just accepts anything and everything. Uh, someone was telling me the other day there's a church that prays to whom it may concern. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but Paul said <clears throat> I'm sorry 1 Timothy 2 Verse 4 through 6, Paul is telling Timothy to the great Ephesian church that was right in that Greek culture. He says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. There aren't two mediators. This is why it's very difficult in some of the classical churches when people think they're going to have the mediatorship of Mary or one of the saints. The Bible says there's only one. There's only one who was not a sinner. There's only one who was righteous. There was only one who is worthy. Even in the revelations, when you see all the worship going on, we see none of the saints or, or none of these people that we consider to be mediators, but instead we see everybody, all of the elders, cast their crowns on their face before God and say, He is worthy, the Lamb is worthy. Now, all of that's given so that you have the lights turned on, so that you can see the truth. Light is simply something that makes manifest, that shows things as they are. If the lights were off here and we tried to go, we'd run into each other and everything else. We'd get mad, we'd get all upset. We'd blame everybody but ourselves. But if the light was on, we could see what we were running into. And we say, oh, excuse me, and we'd grin and we'd go on our own way. When the lights are on, you know when you run into something that it's your fault. And so man has this sin problem. The problem is, is that man doesn't want to recognize it. Jesus said of himself, John chapter 14, we'll read that in a later study, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one cometh to the Father except by me. No one. No exceptions. No other way. Now, I've heard people express a lot of irritation when they hear sermons like this. 
And I've had it directed directly at me when people talk about this kinds of a thing. But listen to me for just a moment, if you would. Just give me a little bit to, to say. And the reason I'm saying this, the reason I think the Holy Spirit is asking me to take two weeks with this, is because I believe many of you are going to have to give these same kinds of answers to your friends and to people around you that want to find the Lord. They'll come with these questions. The irritation of why do you think that only those who accept Jesus are saved? What a terrible kind of God that is. Well, why would anybody want another way? Why, if God, seeing the condition in truth, if knowing that man's condition is a sin question, and knowing that sin has to be paid for, that there must be a judgment for it, knowing that we were too weak to handle the judgment, that it isn't a case of you someday landing up in the judgment seat of God and Him balancing the good against the bad, as people think, and so you try to do enough good to overwhelm your bad. No, the Bible, the light goes on and the light says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, no, not one, because even our righteousness is done out of selfish motivation. And so you and I, because the lights are on, can see that. But other people can't see it. Why? Because they don't face the snake. They don't see the sin question. They think that maybe I can just patch myself or just do something better or a little better and make it. Not realize that, as Jesus said, it's not a matter of going to be condemned. We're already condemned. It isn't a matter of a final judgment deciding if I'm going to hell or not. It's the fact that I'm already on my way to hell unless Jesus saves me. And so the irritation has no real basis when you understand that what we're doing is we're saying, I don't like God's plan and I'd like to establish my own. And usually my own is my own righteousness. And see, your righteousness and my righteousness just doesn't cut it. In fact, the scripture tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. Here's the problem. See, the reason we don't see sin as the main, main question, main issue, is because we measure according to our own experience. And we measure according to our knowledge. And of course, when I measure myself, I always measure my strengths as opposed to your weaknesses. And I always somehow measure myself a little higher than the rest. And I can usually figure out some fact to prove it. Or else I measure myself so low that there's no hope for me. There seems to be no in-between. But you know what happens? We don't really have the ability to measure because we have never lived or been around true holiness. We don't know what that is. And so for us to try to measure ourselves and say, well, I'm okay, it's because we don't have the right measuring stick. God is the only one that can make this measurement. And God says, your righteousness is not enough. The soul that sinneth, it will die. This is where the world is at. And so along comes the Lord with His grace, His loving kindness, seeing our condition, and He gives Himself comes and lives in this world. Jesus became a man, dwelt among us, the Son of God, 
dwelt among us, spoke to us, let us feel him, touch him, see him, handle him. Get that witness started among men who faithfully gave that witness to us so that today under the power of the Spirit it's renewed in us to the same dimension of glory and power. And then took that body and that spirit and was crucified as a full payment to deal with the issue which was the snake on the pole. For us to look at our sin and not grovel in it, not smite ourselves and hurt ourselves and do penance for it, but to look at it so we can walk away from it. Look at it and face it so that we won't continue in it. Look at it and see it so that we can see it placed upon Jesus and see the blood that flowed as the full payment for it and the wounding as my wounding so that now I can stand upright. That's what the word means. Stand upright. Not bowed and broken any longer by it. Not groveling in the guilt of it but freed from it by the power of the blood of Jesus, who by beholding my sin, seeing its reality, seeing it placed upon Jesus, I can be free from it. I think that the reason people don't want to be saved is they don't want to look at the snake. They don't want to honestly confess that they are sinners and in need of a Savior. And that's what Jesus said. The verdict is the light has come and he refused to come to the light because the light reveals that we're sinners. The light shows us as sinners. And those who do come to the light in the same dimension see that any good work that might be in them has come from the power and presence of God on their life that isn't of their own doing. That's what light portrays. Jesus said the problem was people don't like light. They don't want to know the truth. Something in our sinful nature causes us to hide from the light. This is what happened to Adam. When Adam sinned, God said, in the day that you, that you eat of the arbol, or, or the tree, pardon me, Spanish is problem, the day that you eat of the tree, you will die. Adam ate and he didn't cease existing. He didn't lose his breath. His heart didn't stop. What he didn't realize, he died spiritually. Now he didn't want to hear the voice of God. Now he fled from the presence of God and he hid. Guess where he hid? Well, everybody says, where did he hide? He hid in the trees which were his assignment, his work. Most people hide in their works from God. And here comes the gracious, loving God. Adam, where art thou? You think God didn't know where Adam was? Aren't you glad God didn't just go jump in the midst and scare him half to death? You know? See, God called Adam because Adam didn't know where Adam was. 
And today when God calls a man who is in sin or a woman who is in sin who hasn't yet found the Lord, it isn't that God doesn't know where they are. It's they don't know where they are. And it takes the light of the Word of God to open their eyes to see. I don't need just a patch. I don't need just a boost. I don't need just a little bit of money. I don't need just a little more education. I don't need a little more good works. I don't need a little more of anything. I need to be born again. I need for God to come on the inside of me. It's like the politician was standing and he was debating the preacher and the politician was saying, look, he says, if this nation follows my politics, he says, this man will have a new coat to wear. man was in rags. And the preacher said, yes, but if this man will follow Jesus, he'll have a new self to put in any coat that comes along. And that's the truth. The issue, though, today is, understand, that the world rejects. I go to ministers' meetings sometimes in Tucson, and they don't want me to say, Jesus is the only answer. You go to places of education or places of debate or you get on the news media and you can't say anymore Jesus is the only answer. But I tell you the truth, Jesus is the only answer. Why? Because we are sinners. We must see the snake on a pole. We need to see that Jesus was lifted up and became our sin. But just in that instant when God put it on and he suffered, he now has become our righteousness. He is no longer our sin. He's our righteousness. And that transformation happens as you recognize your own need and you confess that you are a sinner. But you confess him also as Lord. Jesus forces us to look at ourselves in the light of eternity. Many will not do that. Instead, they become irritated with him and with the suggestions that they need him, and angry and invent the concept that maybe God is so arbitrary that he's not going to give everybody the same chance. But listen, does hiding from the truth change anything? How much better will you be if you're one of those who have not faced your sin? How much better will your sin condition get the longer you leave it? And if you don't like God's salvation through Jesus, who else are you going to go to? All of the other great religions of the world have the concept of life, but it's kind of a life that is repetitious, that comes in and out of animals and finally fades into a nirvana that has no meaning or no direction. There are all kinds of religions that that present forms of things that It's only Jesus that said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall live forever. Gives meaning and realization, and it all comes this way. Now, facing our sinfulness, all it does is identify the problem. That's all it does. God is not interested in us hurting ourselves or, or, or wallowing in grief. He's only interested in us facing it enough to turn away from it and to turn to Him with all our hearts. It's so that we won't fall back into the problem. Please, if you're caught up in these kinds of arguments against being saved 
or turning to Jesus, stop all the nonsense. God is not condemning. He came to say. Jesus is the only true Savior. Would you say that with me? Jesus is the only true Savior. Would you stand with me now?